0: Brothers and sisters, would you open up your Bible, and if you did not bring one, there's one in the seats in front of you. Open up to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, and we are going to be looking at verses 18 through 32, sorry, 34. For those of you who are joining us this morning, we are in a... uh, a mega-series through the, the Gospel of Matthew, and we are in cha- our, our 23rd installment in this series of 70. So you, you are still on the front end if you have come late to this. So you have plenty of time to catch up. So, uh, but for now, would you please stand, if you are able, as we read God's holy and inspired Word, and we are going to pray for God's help and His blessing as we hear from Him Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for your word of truth, and we pray that today, by your Spirit, you would open our ears and our hearts to receive your word. And Lord, we pray that our hearts and our ears are fertile soil for the gospel to take root and to grow us into... Men and women and children who love the hope that is found in the gospel where we discover that nothing is impossible for you, Lord. So draw us to Christ in faith by your word, Lord. Strengthen us in our current faith, our weak faith, our strong faith. Strengthen us by your word. Correct us, Lord, by your word. Instruct us. And Lord... Enable us to not only embrace it with intellectual minds, but embrace it in our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of Christ speaks to us like this. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before them, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went throughout all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the two blind men came to him, and he said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all, out all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man, who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel, but the Pharisee said, "He casts out demons by the prince of demons." This is the word, of the "Lord." You may be seated. So the word "desperate." is a powerful word. It means that you have some kind of um, urgent need or urgent desire. And we use it, often use it, for extreme situations. I've said it. I am in desperate need for a vacation. Anybody else? I am in desperate need for a vacation. Or maybe you've heard something like this. They drove to Mayo out of desperation or she'll date anyone she's so desperate do you have anyone I can talk to I'm desperate and you could probably think of your life, sometime in your life, where you have experienced some form of desperation. So, something has pushed you to the point where you are willing to just about do anything, to get any kind of help, to find a solution, to, to change the circumstances that you are in because they were causing you some kind of pain, some kind of oppression. Desperation creates action. And our text today shows uh, a great hope for people who are desperate. Matthew shows us four miracles that are characterized by a, a type of desperate faith. And we learn in this text that nothing, nothing is impossible for Jesus. He is the savior of desperate people. He's a savior of people who reach the end of their rope. He's the savior of people who said, I need your help, Jesus. He's the savior of people who who put their faith in him. The people who have who know that nothing is impossible for Jesus. So here's the, the main idea for this text, for this sermon this morning. And if you're a note taker, maybe you want to write this down, maybe you can track through it this morning. But here it is. When you've got nothing left but faith in Jesus, when you've got nothing left but faith in Jesus, you've got everything because nothing is impossible for Jesus. One more time. When you've got nothing but faith in in Jesus you 've got everything because nothing is impossible for Jesus. so I want to show you this from Matthew chapter nine and I want you to see three ways that Jesus moves people from their desperation to faith in him so here here 's the first major point that I, I, I want you to pick up it 's this that we are going to see that there is he moves us from loss to restoration. And we see that right away in verse 18 with a person who comes to to Jesus who is is described as a ruler. And we get a clue. you got to understand that often in the gospel, the gospel writers uh, write it from different perspectives. They're eyewitnesses. They've got different audiences that they're writing to. So they shared the story from their perspective. And you can also see this story in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, it says this. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, a man named Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. So to be named like this must have meant that Jairus was a a well known man in that area of one of the synagogues, the places where uh, Jewish people would go to for worship and instruction and discipleship. It would be like similarly to a, a church. And I don't want you to miss the fact that a ruler of a local synagogue comes to Jesus and he falls at Jesus' feet. And just remember that Jesus was just beginning his his ministry to the area and most of the religious establishments were not supportive of Jesus' ministry. And some were even hostile to him. Even later on in Matthew, we'll see that it... It is a synagogue that Jesus encounters some of the most significant op- opposition. So this man, a ruler, one who oversees the daily um, activities of the synagogue, he, he makes sure that there's a reader in place. He, he'll give instruction. He'll take care of the physical building. So he's kind of an elder and a deacon and a pastor all wrapped up in one person. This man comes to Jesus and falls at his feet. And the reason that the ruler comes to him is because he was absolutely desperate. He was at the end of his rope. There's no other explanation for this risky behavior. He comes to Jesus because of his daughter. And Matthew 9, 18 tells us that she had died. And you can feel the very pain in his request. Often we read scripture, sometimes I think you should read it out loud. As if you are giving a presentation, as opposed to just kind of mentally internalizing it, because you you pick up. My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. What, what can you hear? The father's request. The pain of she's died. I, Jesus, would you would you come? Can you visualize what's going on in this moment? Can can you come? All I'm asking, would you lay your hands on her? I I don't know if you're the Messiah. I don't know if you're the one, but I've heard of what you've done. Would you just, come on. We don't have much time. She's just died. And Mark provides a bit more color to the gospel story. He tells us that the ruler originally came to Jesus while she was barely alive. And he likely saw that his daughter was on the brink of death. So he ran to Jesus. He was probably, if he was a 50-year-old, he would be out of breath. Coming to Jesus going, she's barely alive. And Jesus, Jesus was on the way to his house. And the ruler received a messenger with bad news. The messenger said that your daughter has died. And the words from this messenger must have been devastating. Sir, your, your daughter is dead. Why, why trouble the teacher any further? Is what the Gospel of Mark says. And Jesus' response is telling. You can almost imagine Jesus putting his hand on the, the shoulder of the father and he's saying, do not fear, only believe. This man was afraid that he was going to lose something very precious. But Jesus is about to change it all. So when Jesus arrives at the house, the the family had already summoned the, the mourners to come. Bodies, just so you know, in that, that custom at that time, and even still today, bodies were to be buried within a 24-hour period. You know, they didn't have uh, embalmers. They didn't have crematoriums. They, they were, they were, the bodies needed to be buried right away. But the arrival of Jesus even changes that. He tells the mourners, those people who had come, he says, go away. The girl is not dead, but she's sleeping. And some suggest that maybe in fact she was, but given the presence of all the mourners and the response of the crowd, she was surely dead. Notice what they do in that moment. What did they do? They laughed at Jesus. They laughed at him. The contrast here is enormous. Jesus sees death simply as sleeping. They see Jesus' words as absolutely silly. And how often, my friends, does that happen? Jesus and his followers see the world through a different set of eyes. We see hope. We see that there's, there's possibility here. There's actually maybe restoration can happen. Maybe change. Maybe God will grab a hold of their hearts. And isn't that even the prayer sometimes for our children, for, the, for the, our friends, our, our family, the, those co workers? We go, man, I, I pray that God is going to grab a hold of their heart. But yet the world sees it as foolish. There's no hope here, there's no chance. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness for those who are perishing. But to those who are saved, it is the very power of God. So we should, by our wiring, our adoption, our, our being brought into the family of God, being saved, there should be something happening to us in our eyes, in our heart, where we see things very differently. We see through the smoke and the darkness, and we see light. So the the crowd keeps on laughing and mocking, and Jesus does what? He quietly just goes into the house. He takes her by the hand, and he raises her from the dead. And the result of this is that the report goes out through the entire region, that entire district. That would happen, wouldn't it, in our day and age? The mourners show up for a funeral, everybody's crying, greeting the family. And a, a, a mysterious man walks in and says, Why don't you guys go outside? She's not dead, she's sleeping. A simple touch brings her to life. So Jesus quietly. Restore to that family what had been lost. And do you know that even though people may laugh, they may criticize and say hopeless things about desperate situations, if Jesus shows up, he can, my friends, he can bring restoration. He brings restoration in two different ways. He brings a a restoration that is ultimate and a, a restoration that is earthly. Let me let me break that out. The ultimate restoration that we are all looking forward to is connected to the hope of believers that is found in the resurrection from the dead. Jesus defeated death. He defa- defeated death through his own resurrection and that changes how we see the future. E- even in in when a close loved one who is in the Lord who who loves Jesus has died and passed away, we can mourn with hope, right? We go, man, my heart is broken. I love this brother, this sister, this mother, this father, this friend who loved Jesus. And it breaks my heart because the relationship is real. The loss is real. But we can also rejoice with hope knowing that they are eternally secure and with the Lord right now. Listen, the power of death and sin has been broken. The death, death of the body is not the end. Believers share in this resurrection victory. If you're in Christ someday, I will see you. And you'll look a lot better than you do right now. And so will I. We will see each other. And perfect resurrection bodies. And people who know this have a different way of living. Even the church in uh, Afghanistan. They are able to die, maybe with some fear, but they have hope, security, knowing that one day, one day, there'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. <sighs> Oh, for that day. But that's not all. There's another kind of restoration that comes that is more immediate. The first one, that ultimate, is that heavenly one day that we all look forward to. But there's another one that's immediate. Earthly restoration means that Jesus does actually restore things now. You you see this in Colossians chapter 1 when talking about Jesus. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that everything, in everything, He might be preeminent. For in Him, all the fullness of God was made to dwell, and through Him, through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. What does that mean? It means that Jesus has the power. He actually has the power to restore anything because He is right now reconciling all things to Himself, bringing things into harmony with the way that God wants them to be now. Restoration is a critical part of Jesus' ministry, and we are to be co-laborers in that ministry of Reconciliation. I want you to notice that Jesus quoted Psalm, uh, sorry Isaiah sixty one, in describing his ministry. And I want you to listen to Isaiah sixty one. Jesus said, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted." Know anybody who's broken hearted? To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance to our God to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. In, in Luke chapter 4, it was this text that Jesus read in the synagogue in Nazareth. And after reading it, Jesus said this, Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in you hearing it. In other words, Jesus was sent to the earth to restore what was lost so if you are desperate if you have lost a marriage your children hope for a future if you if you are finding yourself just lost in this life not knowing where you can grab onto if you have if you have lost a meaningful job your reputation your sense of worth listen put your faith in him Don't put your faith in your marriage. Don't put your faith in your children. Don't put your faith in your job. Put your faith in Him. Okay? But here's here's the second thing that we see, that Jesus moves us from shame to wholeness. And this second encounter takes place in the midst of that first story with Jairus, the, the ruler of the synagogue, And as Jesus is making his way to the ruler's house with the father probably just dragging him along saying, come on, let's go. He comes in contact with a hurting, shame-filled woman. Jesus had in his heart a, a very special place for people who were lost in the midst of shame. And you learn about her in verse 20. A woman who had been, who had suffered from a discharge of blood for how many years? Twelve years. Came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment for she said, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Now there's a number of things that you, you need to see about this encounter. First, she was a woman who suffered from some kind of medical condition, probably Some kind of uterine uh, disorder that made her absolutely desperate. Mark chapter 5 tells us that she had, quote, suffered much under many physicians. Even back then, the physicians didn't know everything. And she had spent all that she had. And was not better, but rather grew worse. Desperation, end of her rope. Secondly, this disorder would have absolutely de- devastated her life. She would have been in a perpetual state of uncleanness. She would have been looked down at, she would have been unable to uh, attend temple worship because of her uncleanness she would have been viewed with disdain because most people would have viewed her illness as some kind of judgment from God and her medical condition made her isolated from absolutely everyone 12 years and not only was she desperate she was filled with shame she didn't approach Jesus like she did like all the other people did hey Jesus would you quick come to my house no instead She didn't didn't fall down in front of him and just beg him for mercy. No, she came up from behind and simply, stealthily just wants to touch him. And this was an unthinkable action on her part because she would have, by touching him, made him unclean. There were no no pleads. There were no words. There was no conversation. She comes to Jesus behind his back and secretly tries to touch his garment. It's almost a kind of superstitious faith. If I only just touch. If I just eat this. If I just say these right words. If I repeat this prayer maybe and Luke 8 tells us that when she did this Jesus this this superstitious kind of faith just reaching out touching his garment Jesus said that he sensed that power had left his body and and he turned to his disciples and said who touched me and they're going are you serious Are you serious? There are great crowds around us. We're walking beside you, and you're asking us who touched you? And they replied with this kind of statement of unbelief that that Jesus would even ask this question when there's so many people around. And Mark makes, the gospel writer, makes a remarkable statement about this moment. He says this, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and then she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She experienced wholeness in a a millisecond from the simple touching of his garment. And she knew that she had been changed. The crowd stopped and started going, why are we stopping? And Jesus goes, someone touched me. And she goes, And Jesus turned and seeing her said this, take heart, daughter. Can you hear the warmth? Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Now I want you, it's one word, but I want you to note that Matthew records this word well. And that word well is a very important word. One word. To heal and to make well is certainly the primary meaning, but the word is bigger than that. If you look across the Old Testament and New Testament, even the. How many of you were raised with King James? Faith has made thee whole. And, and the, you see, the word for well is often translated in other places, in John, in Acts, in Romans, in Ephesians, that word is translated as saved. (laughs) So don't miss this. Jesus is touched by an unclean woman. He becomes what? Unclean and she is now saved. She's now made well. And Jesus says, listen, your faith, your faith has saved you. And do you see these, this unbelievable connection to the gospel right there in that moment? It was a divine exchange. And that's how it's, conversion is even explained. It's, it's a divine, divine exchange going on. I will take all of your sin I, and I will give you what? All of my holiness, all of my righteousness is now you. And that's what's taking place. Jesus gives power. He becomes unclean. Second Corinthians 5 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what's taking place here. It's a, a, a little beautiful picture, powerful picture, of what the gospel actually looks like. But there's more. Jesus took his, her shame away. Jesus made her whole again. Touching Jesus made her acceptable, made her clean, made her unashamed. Shame comes from the awareness of something that is dishonorable, improper, or embarrassing. Shame comes from something you do or something that has been done to you. Shame is a direct result of the presence of sin in this world. E- even before the world was ever created, or before the, the world as we know it is like it is, there was no shame. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. So part of the beauty of what Jesus does in this, this powerful moment is he takes Shame away. And he does this not by denying the past, but by changing who we are. And he says, listen, I know that has happened, but you know what? The old is gone. The new has come. You're a new creation. I've got a new definition for who you are. And so some of you today are filled with shame. You might not want to admit it. You don't want to talk about it. This isn't a safe place. But the reality is some of you are filled with shame. You know what it's like to be this woman with 12 years of unclean hemorrhaging. You, for some of you, you know because of what you have done. Some of you, because of what others have done to you. And this woman says to you, or Jesus says to this woman, and he says to you, your faith has made you, Well, it's made you whole, it has saved you. Jesus, friends, makes you whole. And let me give you a few things you need to believe in faith. One God knows it all, and He still loves you, He is sovereign over all things, and He has completely forgiven you your past your present, your future. And He has made you a new creation, a new person. And now because of that, you are living for His glory. Jesus has the power to help desperate people move from shame to wholeness. And so it it comes by coming to Him in faith. And keep coming to Him by faith every single day. Here's here's the third movement that we see. From bondage Bondage. to freedom. And these final two stories kind of show us that Jesus can actually liberate people from the bondage that they are in in their lives. And move them to a place of freedom and restoration. And we see this in two stories of two blind men and a mute man. The the blind men discover that Jesus was passing by them. And they begin to follow him. And they are desperately crying out from the fringes. Have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy. They keep crying out. Can you hear the desperation? So it's not just a one phrase. They keep on crying out that. And apparently they kept on following him. And, And finally, Jesus, in one of the gospel stories, tells that Jesus went into the house. And you know what they did? They didn't go down to the IHOP and have breakfast and wait for him to come back out. What did they do? They followed him into somebody's house and kept crying this. Have mercy on us, O son of David. Their desperate search and their desperate cries paid off because Jesus ultimately engages with these men. And he says to them, I love this statement. Do you believe I'm able to do this? and he asked them, do you believe? And they responded, yes. And what does he do? I love this picture. He actually, Jesus is a a God who is not only omnipresent, but he's actually physically with people in their pain. And he goes and he touches their eyes. And he says, according to your faith, it will be done to you." That was an unbelievably important statement. Jesus has the power to heal. But He didn't actually make it happen until they believed. Jesus is not just on the earth to heal. Healing is a fruit. Healing is a fruit of His work and it's a part of His mission is to heal. But Jesus' ultimate mission is to invite people to believe in him that's what Jesus does he wants he's inviting you to believe in him and to rely upon him and without healing there is without faith there is no healing either ultimate or earthly and these men believed when they were desperate enough to believe that there were their only hope was in this Jesus I, we have been following you around have mercy on us. Yes, we believe. When's the last time you've actually come to Jesus, saying, "God, have mercy. I, I, I am, this is going to be my prayer for the next month and a half or two months, or until the situation is relieved. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me." But then there's another story about a, a man who is mute, who can't speak. And it's actually, the story is actually about the contrasting response of the Pharisees. So in verse 32, we we find that a mute man is brought to Jesus. And Matthew Matthew simply tells us that Jesus cast out the demon. We've seen that before in the region of the Gadarenes, right? A bunch of them went into the pigs, and the pigs went over the hill. The, the country people, they were not happy about it because their whole livelihood is gone, and there's a little bit of fear going on. And, but Jesus does it again, casts out the demon, and the result was that the man was able to speak in that moment. And the crowds, verse 33, it says the crowds were like, oh, they marveled. They marveled at this, this action, this, what, what, what he was able to do but there was stone-cold silence with the Pharisees. They refused to believe, but instead, what did they do? They tried to dismiss the works of Jesus. They said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Can you hear this dripping kind of maliciousness in their voice? They, in effect, said, They called a a good work of Jesus an evil work. They attributed His power to Satan. Why? Because if Jesus does miracles by the authority of who He actually is, then they are actually wrong. If, If Jesus has the power in Himself to do these works then He is actually the promised Messiah. If He can cast out demons by His own authority, then He really is the Lord. And the Pharisees would rather believe that it is demonic power because they then do not have to submit to Him. They didn't believe in Him. And here's the great divide that every single person faces. Will you believe? Will you believe in Jesus? Now, I don't mean will you believe that He really is the Son of God, that He really died for our sins, or that He really is the Savior of the world. No, I I mean more than that. Those are all good things. Hear me say that. Those are things that you must but there's more to it i mean will you believe that he is lord has authority over your life and he has the power to change your life not just this this jesus out there but this jesus here do you believe that he has that power and authority and lordship over your life i I mean will you run to jesus in your desperate condition and say, lord Have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And I cannot raise this dead body to life apart from an action of you healing me, making me new. Or or will you say, "I, I, I believe. that you, Jesus, I believe that you can change my sinful condition. I believe that you can take my lust, my desires, my hopes, my faulty hopes, my faulty dreams, and Jesus, I believe that you can change me. Do you come to him and say, Lord, take my life my identity. Lord, take my mind, my sexuality, my hopes, my heart, my marriage. Lord, take it all for your glory. I mean, will you run to Jesus? Friends, will you run to Jesus desperately aware that you are are a captive to sin. And say to him, take me captive, Lord. Take me captive so that I can be free. Friends, nothing is impossible with Jesus. Your past, your pain, your sin your mistakes, your shame. There is nothing impossible for this Jesus. Nothing. What others have done to you, the pain of your past, your your fear of your future, those things are not impossible for Jesus. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. The only question that remains is, do you believe? Do you? Do you believe, not just believe, but do you believe like these people out of desperation? Jesus can bring, my friends, restoration from loss. He can bring wholeness From shame. And this Jesus can bring freedom from bondage. That's who this Jesus is. And listen, when you've got nothing, nothing left but faith in Jesus, my friends, you actually have all that you need. This message is true here in North America as it is true in Afghanistan right now. If you've got nothing left but faith in Jesus, that is all that you need. Because nothing is impossible with Jesus. Amen? Next time I'm looking for more amens. Really. Because this is hope. This, this Jesus mm <laughs>